0: It was probably time to adapt a new brand. And what better time to do it than coupled with our 50th anniversary? Because it was, uh, you know, there's something about that anniversary that signals a turning point.
1: As Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Bober, president and CEO of Pet Advocacy. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Joanna. So Mike, tell us about Pet Advocacy. Who are you? Who do you serve? How do you make the world a better place?
0: (laughs) We hope we do. The Pet Advocacy Network is a 501c6 member organization. We are the legislative and regulatory trade association for the responsible pet care community. We represent everybody from food and product manufacturers to breeders and distributors of live animals to retailers and service providers. And we represent them at the federal, state, and local levels. And we even dabble in some international work here and there because of the interconnected world in which we live when it comes to trade in live animals.
1: So, Mike, why does this industry need advocacy support? Like, what are your top issues?
0: I think all industries need advocacy because... That's fair. Yeah, I think the reality is we all need to be telling our story and helping lawmakers and their staff to understand who we are and what we do. In our case, we are very fortunate that pets and pet care are topics that everybody feels great about, feels strongly about. But at the same time, it's something that if it's approached inartfully or if it's approached in too broad of a way, the unintended consequences can sometimes be very harmful to pets and people alike. So it's really important for us to work with our members to help them share their experience and their expertise when it comes to caring not just about animals, but caring for animals.
1: So before we get into the things that pet advocacy is doing to thrive, we want to hear about your journey because you've got an interesting story to tell about how you became president and CEO of <laughs> Pet Advocacy. How'd you get here?
0: Oh, it's true. its It's been a bit of a twisting, turning path for me. I I wasn't always in the trade association world, but I'd like to think that in some way, at least, I've been in advocacy all my life. I got involved in politics in college, got bit with the bug, and being here in Washington, D.C., it was kind of hard not to. But I uh, I came out of college and got into working with members on the political side. I was a fundraiser for a while, helped members connect with political action committees. I led a leadership pack, and then that, in turn, took me to the Republican Congressional Committee, where I spent four years working under Chairman Pete Sessions as the coalition's director. And to me, that was really what kind of flipped the switch and said to me that there was another way to move forward that didn't require me to dive wholehearted into the world of politics now and forever. The big thing about coalition building is that it really is about not just talking to people, but talking with people and helping people to communicate their needs and their desires, and then working with them to figure out what the best path forward is that benefits everyone. What's the win-win? And I, I came to realize over time that that wasn't something that was exclusive to politics. It's actually something that that really factors very innately into the conversations that trade associations have on behalf of their members every day. So when it came time to sort of wrap up my time at the congressional committee, I had young children at home and I knew that I I wanted to move into a world where I could really spend more time with them and be a bigger part of their life and I saw a, a listing for a vice president of government affairs position for a group known as the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council and I've had pets all my life. I felt strongly about the human-animal bond, and it seemed like something that I could really help spread the word about. And as it turned out, they were looking for somebody with a background in coalition building, somebody who could bring new people to the table. It was a good fit. I came on board, spent a couple of years on the government affairs side, and through a combination of attrition and being in the right place at the right time, I was made president and CEO back in January of 2016. I've been in that role ever since.
1: Wow, congratulations. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you. Like I said, it's, uh, it's not the usual path. You know, I've definitely had a lot to learn along the way in terms of what it means to be an association executive and what it means to run a trade association. But I think actually coming at it from the political side maybe gave me a little bit of a leg up because those were skills that I found mapped very well into a lot of the different aspects of association life.
1: Well, you know, Mike, I have now the opportunity to speak with many association execs, and the path that they take is often circuitous, and nobody says out of college, gee, I want to be an association executive. But the impression that they are all really giving off is that once they found the association community and then ran their own organization, now they love it.
0: It's true. It's such a fun way to be able to interact with people that you would never otherwise come into contact with. And to see the fruits of what you do just come out and see people start to engage and to tell their own stories in ways that they hadn't before, it's so gratifying.
1: So, Mike, you talk about coalition building, and I think this is really important to pet advocacy because you are... advocacy arm for five other organizations. So that's kind of an interesting structure. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, it's the way the pet care community has evolved over the years. Some industry sectors have one trade association that represents everything from soup to nuts. We instead kind of evolved in a, a much more segmented way. Individual associations sprung up representing pet industry distributors, pet food manufacturers. And over the years, these organizations have developed a bit of a, a symbiosis, a synergy. And our role in all of this, which came into being in the, the early 1970s, was to sort of work with those other organizations and to help them refine and amplify their voice in Washington. So we, you know, in 1971, we were incorporated as a 501c6 member organization, but some of our largest and most engaged members are some of the other trade associations that are in the space and that put on the big trade shows and things like that, and their support is what helps us to make sure that we can be effective advocates.
1: Boy, so it sounds like the industry is supporting you financially so that you can be really effective advocates, and it sounds like there's cooperation with these five other trade associations in a way that often you don't see in a space where there are associations that perhaps compete with each other. So I think that's why coalition building was so important in your resume.
0: I agree. I agree. And and there is still healthy competition. Certainly, uh, all of these associations have their own territory that they've mapped out within the space. We all are in a place now where we work very closely with one another or very supportive of one another. It hasn't always been the case, but it's, I think, fairly unique out there that a industry sector as large as ours is able to support a disparate group of organizations, but that we've all been able to find a way to come together to make sure that we're working to advance the best interest of everyone. And the interesting thing is, you're right, we are supported in large part by some of these other organizations, but at the end of the day, we are still a 501c6. So we also rely very much on the individual memberships of retailers, breeders and distributors, individual groomers. Our membership roles really are reflective of the entirety of a pet care community that is so diverse.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about the things that you're doing to thrive. You were the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, or PJAC, and you recently rebranded, and this was kind of along with your 50th anniversary. So tell us about that. What went into the decision to rebrand? How hard was it? Mm. And how's it going to let people know that PJAC is now pet advocacy? Because often that's challenging. I know I have worked with one client where it was four years later and their VP was quoted in an ASAE magazine and it was the old organization and name. And she was steaming mad. Oh. She said, it's been four years. And I said, you know, it's just the way it is. People just remember the old name. So this rebrand's a big deal. Tell us about that.
0: Yes, this is not a decision we entered into lightly. This was a process that really built on so much work that had been put in place, really, even for a a decade before. We had seen time and time again that when we would introduce ourselves as the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, we would almost be done with the meeting before we had a chance to finish introducing ourselves. And the thing is, over time, those words, while they in some ways reflected who we were, they didn't do a great job of communicating what we did. And with that being the case, we found that we were spending a lot of time trying to explain ourselves to lawmakers and staff, and we wanted a way to better capture just the thrust of what it is that we're really all about. So we did our due diligence. We went through member surveys, broader industry surveys. We worked with several outside organizations, was really pleased with the work that Inspire PR did to help us out. Over time, they helped us build the case that it was probably time to adapt a new brand. And what better time to do it than coupled with our 50th anniversary? Because it was, uh, you know, there's something about that anniversary that signals a turning point.
1: A looking back and a looking forward.
0: Exactly. Exactly. If we've been successful for 50 years, what do we do to stay relevant for the next 50? That was all kind of part and parcel of a very thoughtful conversation because you're right. Your name, your brand, especially one that's been around for 50 years is so integral to who you are. And we've seen it in the community, the pet care community. A lot of people still know us as PJAC, and they probably always will. And that's okay. One of the things that we did in exploring this process was rather than going for a wholesale legal name change, what we actually opted to do was to adopt Pet Advocacy Network as a trade name, as a DBA. Ah. So we have the ability to continue to serve people who will always know us as PJAC, but to present ourselves and to introduce ourselves and to start new conversations as the pet advocacy network. And the way we did that, again, working closely with Inspire PR, but also working through our internal communications team, I have to give a lot of credit to Gwen Donahue, our VP of communications. The program was flawless. We looked at what we had been to the community. And we identified 50 greatest hits, so to speak, you know, sort of 50 memorable moments in PJAC's history. And we started dripping those out on December 7th of 2021, which was the actual 50th anniversary date of our incorporation.
1: Right. The second day that we'll live in infamy.
0: Exactly. The second time that (laughs) day. Yep. And then we teased that this whole thing was going to culminate in something big, a big announcement at Global Pet Expo, which is one of the two large trade shows for the industry. That always takes place in in mid-March. Over the course of those two and a half months, three months, we dripped out these 50 items that we were very proud of.
1: So give us examples of things that you're proud of.
0: Yeah. Well, for example... Early on in our history, we were involved in some of the amendments and rewrites to the Animal Welfare Act. We've been involved in working with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on adopting pet care community standards as it relates to antimicrobial resistance. You know, things that show the scope of who we are, but also some fun things, things that had been sort of high watermarks and happy memories. It was a chance to look back at some of the luminary figures in the industry who've been integral in our founding and our organization. And it was an opportunity to remind people that we were more than just your lobbyist.
1: Wait, so hang on. So this is brilliant. What you did is you amassed these 50 great moments that encompassed amazing milestones and amazing organizations and people so now on social, you've got a great message. Yeah. And you're at mentioning everybody. Yeah. Which means their networks are now seeing your posts and hopefully just generating a lot of interest and excitement about your 50th anniversary.
0: Yeah. The social media campaign was really well done. We've got Lynn Taylor, our junior comms person, has just Did a terrific job of putting together some compelling visuals and really just putting all of that together in a way that made people eager to see what the next item was going to be. And we did it chronologically, starting with some of the earliest stuff from the 70s and working its way up so that by the time we were into mid to late February, people were seeing things that they remembered, that they had been part of. And then all that obviously led to 48, 49. And then number 50 was right there. The first night of Global Pet Expo, we held a reception. We invited former board members, other folks who've been really with us the entire way. And at that reception, we had an unveiling. We announced the new name. We announced the new logo. We actually worked with our outside communications professionals to develop a logo that reflected so many different things about who we are and what we do. I'd encourage anybody who's listening, go to petadvocacy.org and watch the video for the the new logo reveal.
1: Absolutely. It's
0: brilliant. It's so great. And it's once you see it, you can see everything that went into the ideas of, is it a pet face? Is it land, sea, and air? Is it paws? It's all of these things. And that's the best part of it, because that's who we are. We're all of these things. And so the announcement went out. We had worked with our trade publication partners to embargo the release. And overnight, the attention that we were getting, the conversation that we became a part of, it was night and day. We had gone from being that stodgy old lobbying group that people come to when they need to a conversation starter. People wanted to know Pet Advocacy Network. What is that? How can I be part of the Pet Advocacy Network? And even just there at the trade show, our member signups went up. Our engagement went up.
1: What do you mean your member signups went up? Like as an organizations became members?
0: Yeah, companies, individuals actually joined right there on site at the trade show.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, it was an overnight thing.
1: Because they got it.
0: Exactly. They wanted to be part of the Pet Advocacy Network.
1: That's brilliant. Somehow you managed to pull off an amazing unveil on social networks, virtually, as well as at a big event.
0: Yes, yes. We coupled the in-person and the social. And then on top of that, we've really kind of ridden this wave of the 50th anniversary. We've continued to have events over the course of the year, virtual opportunities. There's a second major trade show, Super Zoo, where we had another big event. We were co-hosts for one of the big parties at the event. And people have really just embraced this. And to capitalize on that and to make sure that this isn't just, you know, a flash in the pan, one of the things we did this year for the first time in a very long time is we brought on a membership director. And so this is a person whose job day in and day out is to work with our current members to make sure that our relationships stay strong, but also to help position us to new and prospective members.
1: So prior to this, did you not have a membership director? Who was handling the membership function?
0: We didn't. That was the problem. It was being done in a very ad hoc way. You know, anybody who had time, anybody who had an individual opportunity to try to pitch membership to people, we would do that. And because it was no one's full-time job and no one's primary job, frequently it got done in fits and starts, if at all. So one of the things we really needed to do was to say, this is something that we're going to be a lot more intentional about.
1: I bet you didn't have a full-time membership director or I'm, you know, speculating here because your focus historically has been on advocacy.
0: You hit the nail right on the head.
1: Okay. So and now you're saying, "Wow, but we have to have an additional focus on the membership."
0: Well, it's one of the challenges of being a trade association is you have to be an effective steward of the resources that you're given. And for us, being a, an organization, as you said, that is dedicated to government affairs, we really had to make the case that money spent on membership maintenance was an effective and an important use of people's resources so that they didn't see us as taking money that they thought was going to go toward fighting a fight and squandering it on staff. So we've had to help people understand the importance of having somebody whose job it is to keep them engaged. And thankfully, it has spoken for itself. The success of bringing Alison Stern on has been just absolutely wonderful. Hey,
1: speaking of advocacy, you brought back, a while back, your legislative fly-in. Yes. And you have something called Pet Night on Capitol Hill.
0: Man, <laughs> you got to tell us about these events. Oh, we are spoiled in the pet care community because, again, we have the ability to connect with people at a level that is so welcome. You know, pets and pet care
1: It's primordial. Yeah. We understand our pets and why we love them and why we need to care for them.
0: We love them, and it cuts across party lines, and it's such a great conversation starter. But for us, one of the most important things that wasn't happening was our opportunity to tell the story. Again, to help our members share their experience, their expertise, to really be the face of pet care, to their elected officials. And so we sat down and we said, okay, well, you know, I think it's time. I think the community is ready to once again support a fly-in. And so five years ago, we sat down and we committed to it. We mapped out a process. We've worked with some great organizational partners out there. Now we work with Soapbox Consulting, who do all of the heavy lifting for us in terms of scheduling meetings and things. And people have Embraced it. We had close to 100 people come to Washington this year to tell their stories. Wow. And most member offices were quite welcoming of them. Some were still keeping their constituents at arm's length, unfortunately, and would only meet virtually. But by and large, the opportunities to really get there and connect face to face were once again welcome. And it's so important because the people who are in our community are passionate. They're not in this to make the money. They're in this because they really care about pets and pet care. And for us to be able to show that care and to demonstrate who we are really just makes it so much easier than to engage with lawmakers after the fact and help them to craft positive pet legislation. But yeah, you mentioned that the fly-in is coupled with something that called Pet Night on Capitol Hill. Pet Night on Capitol Hill has actually been around for almost 25 years now. Is it an
1: event, a party, a gala?
0: It is. It is the event every September on Capitol Hill for pet lovers and for congressional staff to compete in a friendly competition for who have the cutest pets on Capitol Hill, cutest dog, cutest cat, cutest other. This is something that the Animal Health Institute, which is one of the other associations in our space, has been doing for, like I said, almost 25 years now. But about five years ago, they invited us and HABRI, the Human Animal Bond Research Institute, to get together and to sort of reimagine Pet Night. And what we've done is we've turned it into an educational opportunity. We bring in organizations within the pet care community that are doing things like Pets in the Classroom, Habit Attitude, which is a way to combat invasive species. Some of our industry partners, Mars Pet Care, Purina, they work with us to bring in pet celebrities like the Westminster Champion. And what this is, is it's an evening event that brings in staffers and members alike To interact with the pet care community and to really kind of help us celebrate the power of pets. We recognize lawmakers with the pets best friend award. This year, we were able to do a salute to uh, outgoing member, Congressman Kurt Schrader for his decade plus of service as one of the only veterinarians to serve in Congress. And it's really just been a great opportunity for us to engage people in a way that I think a lot of industry sectors don't have. Because, you know, again, pets are fun. Who
1: doesn't want to go to an event with pets? Right. Exactly.
0: You've got therapy animals from pet partners there. It's a great time. And I think staffers and members alike really come away with an increased appreciation for the power of pets.
1: But Mike, there's something else here that's really kind of brilliant, and that is if you're accepting submissions from the offices of the members, Mm -hmm. that means they're emailing you and they're opening your emails. Yes. And that's telling the email servers that the emails (laughs) coming from Pet Advocacy Network is not spam. So then they open their emails. Yes. In the future. So this is really brilliant because, you know, those email servers, if they see that you're not interacting with the emails, will eventually bury those emails. But because you've got this thing called the Pet Night on Capitol Hill and submit your pet, they're opening your emails. Brilliant.
0: We can't take credit for that part. That's still the purview of the Animal Health Institute. And so they continue to have that cutest pet event and and I'm sure they're putting it to good use. But yes, we do find it's a great way to build engagement. And like you said, we do our best to really make sure that we follow up on that and keep those member offices engaged.
1: Mike, before we go, what's legislation that you're most proud of that the Pet Advocacy Network has helped to push through?
0: Sure. The past year, I think, has been an interesting one for us because we've really looked at things that a lot of people might not have assumed that were really kind of down the middle for pet advocacy. But for us, they've been essential. And one of those is the work that we did as part of the coalition to pass the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, because... You know, While the pandemic and its aftermath have been very positive for pet ownership, the supply chain issues that it's caused have really just been terrible for manufacturers and retailers alike when it comes to being able to supply the products and the care items that people need to appropriately give their pets the lives they deserve. So we were really proud to be part of that coalition. We've definitely been excited about the work that we've done that's led to the passage of things like the Pet and Women's. Safety Act, which allocates resources for shelters for women escaping abusive situations to allow them to bring their animals.
1: Ah, because often they won't leave their situations because they can't bring their animals.
0: Exactly. That's exactly right. We've been part of the work to support wounded service members, being able to access pets for therapy and service animal situations. That's something that we've been very proud of. And then this year, we've actually had to do a lot more educational work. We've had to help members of Congress understand the unintended consequences of some of the well-meaning legislation they put forward on things like fighting pandemics. Sometimes if language isn't crafted carefully, it can create situations where common pets are actually excluded going forward because they can carry Giardia, yeah, Salmonella, things that are widely already endemic to the United States. So you have to be careful that if you're trying to fight future pandemics, you're not inadvertently creating these barriers to pet ownership. You know, another one is in the Competes Act the legislation that was trying to encourage our our manufacturing and semiconductors. There was language thrown in in the House version that would have made some very devastating changes to the Lacey Act, which governs international trade and endangered species. So we had to work to educate lawmakers on the need to pull that out. Wow. So again, these are things that for us, you know, the linkages to pet ownership are clear, but the reality is for a lot of people, I think they wouldn't necessarily expect those to be issues that we would be so directly engaged in.
1: And that's why they need almost a watchdog and an advocate like Pet Advocacy Network to make sure that the pet community and the industry aren't adversely affected. Exactly. Mike, how's membership?
0: It's been good. Like a lot of people, I think we saw a dip during the pandemic, but I will say that our work during that time was really focused on making sure that our members were recognized as essential. The size of guidance that was out there in terms of what was and wasn't essential businesses was really something that we put a lot of time and effort into. And I think that that paid off because to my knowledge, there was nowhere in the country that a pet retailer or a pet product manufacturer was forced to shut down as a non-essential business. And I think that our members respected that and appreciated that and certainly benefited from that. So that has paid off in maintenance of membership. And then, as I said, I think bringing our new membership director on and our rebrand has really kind of brought our membership to new heights.
1: Mike, if people wanted to learn more about Pet Advocacy Network, we'll put a link to your website in the show notes. Yes, We'll also put a link to your amazing social campaign for the 50 (laughs) Great Moments and the video around the rebrand.
0: Oh, definitely want people to see that logo announcement. That was so well done. I'm still impressed by that every time I watch it.
1: I totally agree. Hey, and I'd like an invitation to Pet Night on Capitol Hill next year, please.
0: You are 100% welcome. We would be happy to have you. Excellent. It's a great time. And it's something that we definitely, we want people to experience it because it really is popular. It's been terrific having a chance to talk to you about this and it's stuff we're proud of. Pet advocacy has never been stronger and we're eager to go forward.
1: Well, as someone who appreciates the pet human bond, thanks so much for all the work that you do. And I hope you'll come back.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I wanna hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.